Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello, my name is Francesca Lafrene, and welcome to our podcast recording for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website. Before we started, I wanted to make a few announcements from this week. We want to thank everyone who's making use of the site and celebrate having reached over 500 registered users. Thank you. Please tell your friends and continue to spread the word. This week I'm joined by a fantastic panel in the studio to talk on the topic of poster design. First, I'm joined by Dr Claire Durrant, a postdoctoral researcher working at the University of Cambridge. Claire's work is focused on understanding mechanisms of synapse loss and exploring ways to prevent this happening. Second, Dr Aoife Kiley, a research communications officer working at the Alzheimer's Society, who's previously done multiple postdocs, including one at UCL at Queen's Square Brain Bank. Finally, Yolanda Ohini, a PhD student at UCL. Yolanda's work focuses on the development of new MRI techniques for Alzheimer's disease. So welcome everyone. Today we'll be talking about conference posters. Posters can be an effective networking tool, something we know is important from our previous podcasts, as well as being an effective way to articulately communicate your research. However, too many posters fail to be really engaging. With our panellists today, we hope to offer guidance on how to produce a fantastic award-winning conference poster, thinking about the abstract, concept and design. So let's ease into the discussion with a quick round the table. Can you please tell me a little bit about yourselves and your research and the last poster that you presented? So if we start with Claire, please. Hi, I'm Claire. So I study organotypic slice culture models of Alzheimer's disease. Um, I'm really interested in synapses, um, why they die in Alzheimer's particularly. So the last poster I presented was at the Alzheimer's Research UK conference um, up in London, I believe. And the next one I'll be doing will be at the Society for Neuroscience in San Diego. Thank you. Hi, I'm Aoife Kiley. I work at Alzheimer's Society. Um, I'm a research communications officer now, so I really had to think about when my last poster was. And I think it was the Federation of European Neuroscience meeting, FENS, um, when it was in Copenhagen. And that was when I was presenting on my work on microglia in multiple system atrophy. Hi, my name's Yolanda Ohini and I'm a PhD student at UCL. My work focuses on the development of a new MRI technique to have a look at um, how water moves um, from the blood and into the tissue and this potentially is a novel way of um, looking at things that go wrong in Alzheimer's disease. The last poster that I presented was I was in Paris um, a couple of weeks ago at the International Society for Magnetic Resonance in Medicine. Um, so I presented a poster there. And the one before that was um, Alzheimer's Research UK in London. Brilliant, thank you. Um, I guess Eva, you've probably seen a lot of posters recently in your role. So, um, you know, maybe thinking about more recent ones as well. So posters have been described as a visual representation of your abstract. So we, before we talk about designing the poster, how do you go about drafting an abstract? 
So I think it's really important to consider your audience, um, particularly, so for example, if you're going to an Alzheimer's conference, probably not worth wasting a few hundred words on what Alzheimer's disease is and how it affects people. You know, sort of go straight into where your work fits within the global remit that we all understand in that. Whereas if you're going to, say, Society for Neuroscience, you have to maybe add that extra sentence introduction to just state what Alzheimer's is and why your question's important for that. Thanks. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about thinking about your audience. Yeah, and I'd, I'd also add on to that um, because at some conferences, like the Alzheimer's Society conference, we have a mixed audience. So there's kind of lay people there, people living with dementia, as well as researchers. So sometimes you kind of have to consider like the language that you use there just to make it accessible to everybody who's going to be taking a look. Yeah, and also, I suppose, always remembering the headline of your research and actually the main message of what you want to um, tell everyone at that conference. I think that's also quite important. Yeah, that kind of leads quite nicely onto the next question because we're going to be thinking about the poster and the text that's involved in that. So there's usually a pretty standard formula, kind of the background and knowledge gap and touching usually quite briefly on the methods, um, then results, conclusion, and maybe some points for further discussion. Do you tend to follow this formula? And what do you think are the obvious traps when trying to work to these? I think that people often um, perhaps use too much text. And mm. so I try to um, use as many figures to explain, yeah. um, to explain either the methods or even the introduction. And also, if you can make your figures for the, um, your results really clear, then that's what people are quite interested in. So. Mm. Avoiding text using visuals because it's a visual medium. Definitely. I always take in mind about the fact that usually I'd like to be standing next to my poster. So you don't often need that much text, enough that someone, if they were standing at the back and couldn't hear you, would be able to read it. But for example, if I'm describing a method, I would much rather have a diagram of the process, which I've made myself. So it's my own images and it sort of it adds to the whole look of the poster as well. Um, but much nicer than a big wall of I've added X microliters of this, which is no one wants to see. Yeah, because I think a lot of people tend to fall into the trap of I've got this fantastic research paper. I'm just going to copy and paste it onto a bigger board so people can just see everything I've done. But I think, you know, some of the massive conferences, you've got hundreds and hundreds of posters and you have to kind of make your work eye catching as well. Um, so one thing I know different research research institutes are doing more and more is having it kind of colour coded so people can spot and say oh these are all the UCL ones I know that's really nice research I'll go to there and then if it's like visually appealing as well you're going to net people in um, but also being there standing at your poster is making people more likely to stop because they've got someone to talk to. Yeah. Is there anything that you find can be quite eye-catching about posters you know as you said big conference lots of posters people can't look at every single one I love images. That's the thing. Um, we don't change from when we're children. We like pretty pictures. It's much easier to understand a picture. For me, if there is a big fluorescent image of the cell type they're looking at or of a hippocampus, I know I'm looking for hippocampus posters. I can see one from a mile away down the corridor, whereas trying to find that in an abstract book might be a bit harder. I quite enjoy when people also include like a summary. So something that's like it, it just takes the key points of their of of their results. And so it's quite easy to digest because often posters are quite complicated. And so to have um, it condensed down is um, a really nice touch. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about the take home messages, because um, it, it can be really overwhelming, particularly 
you know, if you're trying to read a lot of text that's on the poster or even just trying to understand the images um, to kind of pull out that information if the person isn't standing there to help you. Um, but yeah, I would say the, the other point would be just to make sure that everything is as visible to somebody who's standing at least a metre away from your poster and is being probably jostled by other people. Definitely. <laughs> also, I, I, I think a good point to add is perhaps a, a poster which I once saw that was really um, not eye-catching, it contained about 10 tables of mm. numbers. And so that's really hard to digest and also very, very dull. So <laughs> maybe avoid, <laughs> avoid that. to avoid for the listeners. <laughs> so kind of moving on to the fun part, which is formatting and design. Um, do you tend to use graphs and images? I think it sounds like you all do. Do you have, you know, how should you use them? Any tips? Well, I think it's quite important for all your graphs to be in the same style, because if you've got mm. one graph that's got red and black bars, one graph that's a line one, one that's got dot plot, I tend to like to format it in a similar way so it looks like you would present it for a paper, so they're all the same and much easier to kind of present in that way. One thing that appealed to me, um, you know, a few times when I've been judging posters, I like when it's formatted really clearly as in like background, this is what we did, this is what we found. Whether you do that with different coloured rectangles or something to kind of block it out as tiles, I find that really useful. And secondly, a thing that I've done myself was um, either in your conclusions or your take home message have clear bullet points or you can just make it, if possible, into a diagram so people can really just take that information really quickly. Yeah, I was going to add that point as well, that um, I quite enjoy when people make their methods into um, schematics or flow diagrams um, in order to kind of follow a little bit um, more easily. I think what's a point to note is that these things aren't very easy to do and to conceptualise something that you've written down in steps or um, to make it into a schematic is is a, a skill in itself um, but worth doing um, in order to kind of convey your message clearly. You will work with quite kind of complex methodology. Is there any tips for kind of how much you include or not include uh, when trying to describe those methods? I would say things like the exact amount of something you're doing or the exact time might not necessarily be important. But if you were to just describe it to someone in the lab about how you do it and then you can go and assist them later, that should be enough kind of thing. It's not a methods paper. It's not something that someone who's trying to learn the technique mm. will sit and study. It's someone who's, OK, what did that person do? I got a vague idea. If they really want to ask you really detailed questions, they can. But a poster, I don't think, is the place for that. That's a paper's place, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's a really good thing about posters is that people probably will come up to you and say, oh, I've done a similar experiment. We use two microliters. How much do you use? Exactly. Yeah. And like different kind of, you know, even just the little fine tuning things that you don't even write in a paper. Um, it's really handy to be able to have those conversations. And it's a totally different dynamic from when you're standing presenting on a stage. I'd agree. <laughs> well, I guess it's a good way to get people to interact with you as well if they've got those questions. Um, so going back a little bit to the design, you know, how do you use colour? Do you use colour on your posters? Do you have a kind of a colour scheme that you like or any tips? I think there's quite a lot of research into what people find um, 
the serious and there's different colours that you can use different yeah. colour schemes if Fire you want to, yeah, yeah exactly to um, in order to make to convey the message as you as you um, would want to but I think a key um, not a key point but I think an interesting point that someone told me was always to be aware of people who are colorblind Definitely. because um, that's also something that um, quite a lot of scientists maybe don't take that into consideration. So just to be aware of the, the colors that clash and you can't tell the differences between. Um, well, particularly we're all guilty of using red and green as our sort of two yeah. primary staining colors, but just yeah. changing red to magenta just makes a huge difference for people who are colorblind. So yeah. we kind of forget that when you're saying, and obviously this is a different stain to that one and actually it looks entirely the same colour to someone so just that five minutes changing it on image J and you can make it much more accessible to someone else and I think the same rules apply to you know we we all know those presentations you know PowerPoint presentations where they have a blue background and yellow text and it hurts your eyeballs (laughs) like don't do that to your poster either or blue and red absolute worst (laughs) horrible but um I remember my PhD supervisor would never let me um, have my posters the colour I wanted because I worked on a protein that's linked to Parkinson's called Pink One. So it's obvious I wanted to make my posters pink, but she flat out disagreed with that logic. I think it's quite nice to use colours um, to emphasise different areas. So the parts in which you want to highlight, um, if you use the colour scheme um, across the board and maybe have the background that colour instead of being white. Um, I think Mm. that's quite a nice um, um, approach to take. And some people use a nice method of they'll have like a nearly kind of watermarked image in the background, you know, that like just have a neuron or maybe their institute's insignia or something like that, which again ties together posters from the same institute, which I think is quite nice. So there's just some kind of quick fire questions now. Um, what software do you use to design your posters? I use PowerPoint. PowerPoint. Yeah, PowerPoint all the way. <laughs> My sister always laughs at me because she says, you're doing a PhD, but all I see you doing is PowerPoint. <laughs> but it's, it's very high level PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was really surprised when I started designing them that people were using PowerPoint. I thought oh, there'd yeah. be something else, but it works, it works. Um, do you tend to do landscape or portrait? Obviously, different conference guidelines will ask for different things. So make sure you read that because there's so many times you go to a conference and they're all portrait and there's that one poor person who's holding up the end of it because they didn't read it. That that looks bad. So you definitely need to check. There's no poster prize winner who's ever done that. So I think that would be a number one thing to check. Yeah, excellent. Check the conference guidelines. Um, Do you work left to right or kind of uh, top down? I think it depends. Sometimes, I think usually I would have done like top down in columns, um, but I think you can play around with that as long as it's really clear. If you have like arrows guiding the sections or kind of a flow chart thing, I think you can really play around. And even if just numbering your sections as well yeah. can make it quite yeah. clear which one you're supposed to read. Yeah, as long as like there's a flow. Yeah. I think that it doesn't, yeah, whatever you, wh- whichever you fancy yes. or I fancy. <laughs> And where do you stand on kind of including contact information or having handouts alongside your poster? I always include my email address. Mm -hmm. Um, Handouts, less so for me. Um, I think if it was 
a very specialist conference, I might I might include handouts, but for a very general one, I'd almost rather people just speak to me directly or I'll sometimes have a QR code link to a paper and people can take a photo of that on their phones and go and see sort of the published work. But there's, you know, sometimes you're a bit worried about, you know, giving someone all your unpublished data and just a handout they can take away. Mm. In some conferences, you do have to be careful of that. But for most cases, I'm fairly relaxed, so... Yeah. I like the QR code thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Well. it's really good. Like I've seen that before um, and taken taken the picture yeah. and thought that's really um, a great way to remember someone's and details. And you don't even have to put it on your poster. You can just put it on a piece of A4 paper and pin it up next to your poster. So that's what I've done on a few occasions. You know, mm. oh, if you liked this, I've got a paper published and they can go away and look at it, which benefits everyone, I think. So. I also think it's worth getting business cards printed because... Mm. Especially at the larger conferences, especially like the, you know, the American conferences, they'll always come up to you with business cards. And sometimes you just feel really awkward if you're just like writing your email on a scrap of paper. So, yeah, I think that's really useful. I definitely agree with you about the handouts. I think in a lot of cases it can be that it's too risky to give away your unpublished data. And in other cases, it can just be a hassle to print out these handouts that people aren't going to look at or are going to. throw away or whatever so I think of the trees yeah I think of the trees (laughs) yes ethical panel (laughs) Um, and any thoughts on printing do you prefer kind of shiny paper laminated fabric posters well I have a real thing for fabric um, simply because I've had some awful experience in airports with the big poster tubes Um, absolute nightmare I have had nightmares with fabric do not iron a fabric poster (laughs) I did this before the AOUK conference two years ago and it looked like some sort of Dali painting fortunately the stuff on it was okay but it was very warped so don't do what I did and sit panicking at a hotel room at 10 o'clock at night going what have I done so just fold it gently and um, leave it with the crease the crease is better than a Salvador Dali painting definitely And don't forget your poster in the airport as well. <laughs> I've heard many horror stories about that. <laughs> and actually, I, I, I love the fabric posters as well, because like you said, so much easier to travel with. But I do know there was a researcher in UCL who upholstered a chair with an old fabric poster. So they're reusable. It's fantastic. You can make bags from them. Ah, love it. Well, that is one, uh, certainly an idea. <laughs> Dress, skirts, yeah, everything. <laughs> Brilliant. So for the final question, um, as award-winning poster designers, what would be your top tips for someone working on a poster design? Anything we haven't covered yet? I think as well as the design of the poster, think about how you're going to present it. Make it in a way that you can almost do a three-minute mini-talk through your poster and that you're not sitting there going, oh, what was that piece of data? Just know it really well and that you can smoothly talk them through. And if someone asks you a question, you know exactly where on the poster you're pointing them to. So you're not reading off it. It's kind of a visual guide to help you talk to the person standing in front. I'd say um, take your time thinking about um, how you want to portray the information because... um, a lot of people look at your poster when you're not there as well. And so just thinking about ways that this information can be given and understood to um, people when they're not there, I think that's quite important. Yeah, I would say thinking about how you're going to talk through your poster is really vital. And I would also say stand at your poster as often as you can, really make use of the time and enjoy the time because It can seem really nerve wracking when you're just standing there by yourself and nobody's coming up to you. But some of the conversations that you'll have at your poster are going to be some of the most useful for your research. Absolutely. People come up with great input and really willing to help. 
and just give you advice and also get advice from you. So, yeah, it can be a really, really valuable experience. And that's what the judges are going to enjoy as well. Somebody who's really passionate about their research, knowledgeable and just happy to be there. I must admit, I'm the kind of person who just camps at their poster whenever it's up. Um, and yeah. I'm really lucky that my PI, Michael, Michael Coleman, he'll bring me food. Oh. And he'll, he'll, he'll go to the buffet for me and bring it because he know I won't leave it. So I'll be sat there waiting and looking like the loner in the poster room while everyone's queuing for lunch. But that first person who walks through the door, yeah. I'll say hi. They so, appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I suppose think of yourself as like a graphic designer for just one day when you're making your poster. Yeah, Brilliant, some fantastic tips there. So thank you so much for uh, taking the time to share those tips, not just about you know, the content and the design of the poster, but kind of the whole experience, you know, you standing there as well, thinking about your audience, and if possible, enlisting someone to bring you food as you stand there. <laughs> what are PIs for if not to bring you lunch? Yeah. <laughs> So it's time to end today's podcast recording. I'd like to thank our panellists, Aoife, Yolanda and Claire. You can visit our website to look at the profiles for all of our panellists and please do post questions in our comments section. If you've anything to add on this topic, please do post your comments in the forum on our website or get in touch on Twitter using hashtag ECRDementia. We also suggest you take a look at a blog link on our website where there's a great article written by a blogger called Tulio Rossi for the LSE Impact blog. It's got some great tips for poster design. And please remember to subscribe to this podcast through SoundCloud and iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. Thanks for listening. Bye. This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.